Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode number five of the Reinventure Me podcast. If you haven't gone through significant change, you will. And it may change the way you think about yourself. We're going to talk about how change affects identity in today's episode of Reinventure Me. Find your next great beginning. This is the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, hello again, and welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Reinventure Me, where we talk about finding your next great beginning. What's next in life? What's next in life for you, Armin? Oh, man. Well, I think I'm going to be taking on a uh, COO role at a uh, marketing company down in St. Paul. So I think that's going to be my biggest next move. Cool. Yeah, kind of scary. Now, how many moves is that for you now? What's the tally count? Oh, man, I don't know. Somewhere between 10 and 20, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's pretty incredible because I just tallied this up this morning. I don't think I got it all right, but I counted 18 different roles, 18 different ways I've thought about myself from the time I was a student, uh, scientist, programmer, manager, entrepreneur, consultant, coach, writer, pit pastor, teacher, board member, publisher, marketing strategist, salesman, founder, tech support engineer. I mean, you know, it just goes on and on. Right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, I'm, I'm guessing if you had 18 or 20, that's about, that's about 18 or 20 right there. And, and, uh, you know, I've got a good 20 years on you. So you're going to have a lot by the time you're done. <laughs> maybe too many. Maybe, maybe I need to just get more stable. You know, the, you're, you and I, I think, are way above the national average. I think, you know, if you look at, uh, at job or career changes, they say that the average adult will go through 7 to 11 job or career changes over the course of their lifetime. Wow. I think between you and me, we probably already exceeded <laughs> exceeded one lifetime's worth of change. Right? Yeah, I think we did that by the age of thirty. Yeah, <laughs> and as we uh, pointed out in our first episode, you you talked a little bit about your one of the big changes that you had is coming out of a crime syndicate straight yeah. into kind of more more or less straight into ministries. Pretty much, right? yeah, pretty much. That was, that was literally the transition. That's a that's a huge. I mean, that's a just a one eighty kind of transition. Oh, just from, a little bit from. The land grab to the giveaway. Right. I, I still think I have whiplash from it, so <laughs> I'm still going through the process. So how did, that, how did that affect your thinking about yourself? Oh, wow. There's a, there's a deep question. All right. Me. Well, maybe we should back up with an easier one. <laughs> <laughs> did you find yourself struggling with how to think about who you were when you went through that whole transition. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you think about it, I uh, being being an organized crime, you have to live a life where you're constantly trying to be someone that either people fear or respect. Mm. And um, y- you can't be that a person that anyone can walk on, you mm-hmm. know? And right. if they try to walk on you, you have to make sure that they think in the back of their head they may never walk again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And kinda so... Like, th- kind of like the... 
what you hear about it's what it's like in being in prison, right? You right. Have, you have to be strong, show your strength, because any sign of weakness is right is failure. Right? Yeah, and somebody will just take over you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's the it's a it's a constant game of chess, and and you always have to be three steps ahead of anyone coming after you. So it's this constant game of vendetta and just you know just positioning yourself in a way that says i'm bigger better faster stronger than you it's always a constant state of power plays and so on you know so it's just exhausting and then all of a sudden i i flip the chart and go to the other side of the you know playing field and all of a sudden i'm in this uh in this thing called ministry where i'm serving god and i'm on mission to just serve people around me just to be, because I, all of a sudden I realize I have to live this life that is dedicated to loving God and loving people. And all of a sudden it's not about respect. It's not about fear. It's about love. And, um, my actions had to completely change because it wasn't about gaining respect or having people fear me. It was about them or making sure that the people in front of me actually knew I genuinely love them mm. regardless of if I knew them or not. Mm. And it was just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that is the pure definition of a paradigm shift. Yeah. So. Well, you, you had to go through this constant thinking about yourself, it sounds like, right. where, where you stood, and however, more importantly, how everybody perceived where you stood, Right. to thinking about what was most important for other people. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's moving from self-service to other service, and, and that's, a huge, that's a huge shift. Yeah. But you went through a change, and you went through probably an identity change. I mean, oh. you went through a huge identity change yeah. uh, as a consequence of that. And, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about. In fact, the, the kind of question that we just discussed today, said, oh, well, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, we don't often enter into that with, with one another. Uh, you know, I, I I don't find a lot of conversations that I have with people I'll, unless I unless I bring it up, but not a lot of people talk about. Well, you know, tell me how your thinking about yourself has evolved over time. Hmm. Yeah, and yet it's so critical, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I, I want to start off our discussion today with just a little bit of inspiration because I think we can build upon uh, what Thomas Merton said. And I'm gonna I'm gonna key off our inspiration music here. There we go. It still entertains me. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas Merton was a uh, Catholic theologian, and he said this. If you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I think I'm living for in detail and ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully the thing that I want to live for. Between these two answers, you can determine the identity of any person. And he says, the better answer he has, the more of a person he is. Hmm. So if I had to make that uh, understandable for my generation, basically what he's saying, don't ask me about uh, what brand of jeans I wear or what brand of shirt I wear, what house I drive or what house I live in, what car I drive or how many Twitter followers, how many Twitter followers or Facebook (laughs) followers I have. Ask me, why are you here and what's keeping you from it? Yeah. Does that sound about right? Awesome. That's exactly right. All right. Yeah. And how, how many times have, have people asked you those questions? I mean, and in your age group, how often do you find that, that conversation happening among your peers? Uh, probably not often. I think, I I think we're, my generation, we're still in the seeking and understanding ourselves phase. So we quite often ask the, you know, the boring questions of what do you do? Uh 
and uh, where did you go to school and uh-huh. what did you get your degree in and right. where do you work right and it's just predictable boring questions that don't and no matter how many answers i give you you still won't know who i am well and the challenge with those questions too is that often they're used to compare you know <laughs> it's it, it in some ways it's a it's a friendly form of fire uh, in, in the same way that you were describing when you were in your crime syndicate. I mean, that's a, that's a very aggressive form of, I, I, I need to tell you where I stand. I'm at the top of the pecking order and that's exactly what you want. Right. And now we we have this conversation about, well, what do you do? And you're kind of sizing up somebody sometimes, oftentimes in the exchange. That's right. Now that isn't always the case. No. I mean, uh, we can ask somebody what they do because we're looking for common grounds of interest. Or we're looking to connect them with other people that might be doing similar things. And so it isn't so much in my thinking about it, it isn't so much about somebody describing themselves by what they do as being a bad thing. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's more about how important is that to you mm-hmm. in terms of how you frame your own identity. And more importantly, are you using it for power or to give away in the example that you used before. Right. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I ask those same questions, yeah. but I feel like uh, networking, even though that's kind of got a sleazy definition nowadays, but I, I really enjoy networking quite a bit. And I, But my favorite part of networking is actually just connecting other people. It's not so much for me as it is to connect other people. So I do ask those questions as well, to be honest. But I, I really want to know what do people do just in case I meet someone else that is someone that they're looking for would be a connect, good connection for them just so I can connect dots for people. And so those questions for me are important because I really am excited and passionate enjoy networking people together. So yeah, yeah, there's a good purpose. I, I kind of find though in, in, uh, Christian circles in particular, there seems to be this, um, this stigma associated with it. Maybe it's this detachment or I don't know exactly how to describe this, but this, sense of angst when you bring up what it is that you do as if you shouldn't uh, talk about a role, you know, like it's a bad thing to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Larry and I'm an, I'm an attorney or I'm a banker or I'm, I'm a plumber, you know, right. Um, because there's this sense that, you know, all you should ever say is I'm a child of God. Yeah. Well, and yeah. we should find our identity there, our base identity there, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I was been reading through the Bible the last few years. I've been making it a regular Bible reading intention. And I'm struck by how many times in the Old Testament in particular, it will refer to people, but it won't even use their name. It reuses their occupation, huh. you know. So it'll, it'll say, you know, uh, the, the builder of something for the temple, you know, mm-hmm. or the curtains for the temple or what have you. Uh, the embroiderers and the and, and it refers to the occupations that people possess. Some of them then have names and their occupation, hmm. you know. But some of people are just referred to by occupation. So I don't think God gets quite so hung up on this what we call ourselves as much as we do. Right. I, I think sometimes we get a little bit fixated on it. Yeah, I actually really like that perspective. I've never heard that. So I've I've heard many of the identity in Christ. Um, arguments and talks and all that stuff, but I've never heard that perspective of pointing out to the Old Testament how many times. Well, that... think about it this way: you know, it, it, the Bible says as Christians we're new creations, right? And mm-hmm. the old has gone, the new has come, and we're a new creation. And so, in that sense, yes, we we should describe ourselves as that's a base core of our identity as Christian. 
But when you go to meet somebody, especially um, maybe somebody in a church setting where you know they're a believer already, right? right. You go to meet somebody, you you don't say, "Hi, I'm Armin. I'm I'm a guy," you know, <laughs> right. or I'm a human. Right. You know, some of the things are just kind of self evident. And it doesn't require that kind of proclamation. And sometimes the best proclamation is how you live it out in whatever role you're serving. Mm-hmm. And so the question is this, almost this dualistic question about, well, are we here to be or are we here to do? Right. You know, yeah. or you hear it often, <laughs> we're human beings, we're not human doings. Right. It's not about our role. It's not about the stuff that we're supposed to do. It's about who we are. Right. And, you know, I think that sounds really good. But I think it practically breaks down, and I prefer the the Doobie Brothers because they're like Doobie 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 Doobie. You know, I honestly don't see it. Being... Do you know what Doobie means? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So thanks for that correction. I was just trying to be a little bit humorous with the name, but I'm gonna I'm gonna back off a little bit now. Sorry. No, no, it's good. It's good clarification. Keep going. Um, I'm sorry. But if I just take the words "do" and "be." I think they should run together in right. that same way. You know, we're, we're not just here to be beings. We're here to be doings right. as well. That God gave us a, a mission. And when we see, first of all, that that mission comes from God and it's part of who we are to be, um, then we can do. Right. And I'm, I'm struck by, you know, if you look at the early chapters of, of Genesis, you know, it says that there were no shrubs for two reasons. One, God hadn't brought rain and man was not yet there to work the ground. Hmm. And so from the very beginning, it's always been a partnership with God. So it's been a communal relationship, something that we do with God, but it's something that we do. Hmm. So we, he doesn't only bring us into being, right? he brings us into being to do. Right. And that's a cultivation and it's it's to, to bring things up. And so sometimes I think we get this notion that when we talk about identity, it's only about being. And then if you talk about identity as, well, I'm a banker, then that then somehow by saying I'm a banker means it's a bad identity. Right. You know, because it's not this being identity. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that's part of the angst that people have, especially as they go through change. I think the opposite is true too, where they get too caught up with the doing. Yeah. Where they constantly ask that question, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? And if they're not doing something that they feel like is godly or something like that, they feel like they're missing out on their calling or they're not uh, following God or something weird that makes them question their own identity because what they're doing doesn't seem to align with what they think they're supposed to be doing. Well, I think the wonderful thing is what David Brenner wrote in The Gift of Being Yourself. This is just a delightful book, and we're going to put it in the show notes. But one of the things he said is, identity is never simply a creation. It is always a discovery. Wow. True identity is a gift of God. And so the angst I think you're describing there for people is that they is that they can they can move from one thing to the next and try to get their source of identity out of what they do mm. uh, but it is it, it's it's a communion thing with God and there is a discovery process I mean I think for a lot of us part of the uh, the reason you and I have both had so many roles is because we are looking for how that expression is supposed to live itself out right and it changes over time right 
And I think one of the challenges that that people that I have talked to have experienced when it comes to a significant change. So for instance, they get laid off or fired from their job and they don't know how to think about themselves in the new chapter of their life. Hmm. So are you saying that it's important to think about your identification during a change and transition? Well, I'm saying that I think that this is a constant thing. Okay. And, and, and when you invest too much of yourself in one identity, you mm. run into trouble at least one role as an identity. I think, okay. you know, you can never overinvest yourself in the identity of being a child of God. Right. 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 But there are roles that you can, you can put on and you can say, well, not only am I a child of God, but I'm a, I'm a husband and I'm a father and I uh, am a mentor. And I, and, and the more of those things you can stack up and cultivate and develop the healthier you are. Well, wow. in fact, Gail Sheehy in her book, the new passages points out that those this was a study that was done years ago, but mm. they, they found that those who had a healthy belief about themselves, that they were multifaceted in terms of their identity, tended to be happier and tended to have fewer physical ailments. Um, and and wow. that those who cultivate multiple ways of thinking about themselves as a, as a, a worker even, as a doer, yeah. um, have that ability to then shift when when things change. Interesting. So they don't get their identity tied into one single facet of their life so that there's always something to discover new about yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's Brenner's point that it's always a discovery, you know, and the question for us, I think the biggest challenge is do we intentionally think about what God might want to be birthing out through us as we go about our day, even as we might have a role and we might feel very, very good about our role. We might think, mm. I'm at the top of my game. I'm really enjoying this. This is a great, terrific job that I have that I'm working at. And it's more than a job. It's a vocation. It's a calling. It's like Eric Little. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Right. You know. But what happens when Eric Little's time for running ends? Mm. You know, We've seen this in the, uh, in the Olympic Games that are being held right now. Yeah. A number of those athletes are coming to the terminus of their Olympic career, you know, and they may not have achieved what they hoped for. Yeah. You know, they may not have qualified. They may not have uh, gotten the gold or the any medal. Right. And it's their last one. Oh, yeah. Like the slalom skier you were telling me about. Yeah. Who got bronze instead of gold and she was the favorite. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Julia... Yeah, we can't remember her. <laughs> we already attempted this, Larry. Let's give it up. <laughs> but yeah, I just watched I watched an interview with her, and and she was the gold medal winner last year, and then this year she didn't make gold, hmm. and it was it was it was a big disappointment for her to to have bronze, and understandable. I mean, for training for four years, expecting to be on the top of her game, and and it and it didn't come away. But it was her last Olympics, and you could Ouch. feel the disappointment in that interview and and the and the 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 hurt and and sadness but also there was almost this inkling of what do i do next you know what's next for me when you don't think of yourself as an olympian anymore but people are asking that question all the time with their jobs Hmm. you know they might be um they they might have been laid off as i said or or entering into retirement and wondering well how do i think about myself now okay that brings me to a question why why is it so common that our identity is so tied in 
to our work or what we do, you know, for an Olympian being a skier or whatever sport that they're in, or for us, if we're scientists, engineers, or executives or whatever we are, why, why is our identity so tied around our work? Well, I, um, I don't know that I, I have the definitive answer here, but I, I do have the uh, speculative answer. Right. <laughs> My opinion is, is that it's a spiritual thing. I, I believe God designed us this way. I believe he designed us not only to be, but to do, the be and do, and right. that those things are integrated. And I think where we run into trouble is when we try to disintegrate them. And we can disintegrate them in two ways. We can disintegrate them by pretending that what we do doesn't matter, or we can disintegrate them by saying who we are supposed to be as children of God doesn't matter. Hmm. And, and, and that's when we get into trouble. That's the great temptation that we have is to either throw our lives into our work as if a higher calling doesn't exist because then it's just for me. And then you move into the mantra that you lived under as a crime Lord, which is me, 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 me. Right. 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 Um, and, but you can also move into this perhaps monkish mystical, and I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate that in any way, but when it comes to an extreme where you're not actually serving or doing anything, but you're just trying to be existential, then it has it has no value for for uh, for anyone else, hmm. and you know I really wonder if you if you are able to to live out God's call there. Right, that makes sense. Well, do you think uh, is it is it difficult to separate our identity from our job? If I'm mean, seeing that a lot of people do struggle with separating themselves from what they do and who they are. Well, I, I, I don't know that we should. I think we should have a proper integration as my point. I, right. I, I don't think, it, it, you see, I don't see the challenge of saying, oh, you're an artist, you know, and by saying you're an artist, that somehow that makes you less of something else. Hmm. Um, I think you, you should embrace that. My point is, is that I don't think we embrace enough different roles and identities that we have. And when we lock into one, that's when we get into trouble. Hmm. Because then we try to get life and meaning out of a role, then we have lost it. You see, a role is just an expression of what we're designed to do. It isn't the thing we are, but it is. it contributes to saying something about how God made us. And it's part of our character. It's part of our skills and talents and, and interests and all those things. Actually, you reminded me about the... the uh uh, the movie Cinderella Man, and there was mm -hmm. something that you were telling me. For, uh, you were actually quoting a part of that movie. Um, I, I'm still not sure if it actually made it in the movie or if you were reading it from the script. But I really loved it when you were reading it to me yesterday. Can you can you tell me about that again? Well, this idea of integration, where we both be and do at the same time, that we can't really separate those two things, I think is captured beautifully in a scene in this movie, Cinderella Man. And Russell Crowe plays James J. Braddock, a fighter, who is going to uh, challenge Max Bear, who had already killed uh, at least one guy in the ring, and his wife, who's played by Renee Zellweger, does not want him to fight in this fight, understandably. Hmm. She's, her fear for losing her husband is quite strong. And... Russell just feels Russell, I say, but James J. Braddock just feels <laughs> like it's 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 vitally important that he does this. This there's something inside of him that just needs to do it. Hmm. And there's this beautiful scene where his wife comes in 
to the locker room as he's getting ready. Paul Giamatti is his his trainer, and uh, and and he exits. Uh, Paul Giamatti exits the room, leaving just Russell Crowe as actors and and Renee Zellweger there together. And she says to him, "I am always behind you, Jimmy, with you and inside you, and in love with you. So you just remember who you really are. You're the bulldog of Bergen." the pride of New Jersey, you're everybody's hope, you're your kid's hero, and you're the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. Hmm. Now, the thing that impressed me about that was that here he was going to do something that required him to muster up everything that he had against all odds of being able to do it. This was, for him, the moonshot of his career to be able to do this. Hmm. And it was for him the thing that is most challenging and perhaps most fearful. It was certainly fearful for his wife. And how often is that true for us where we face something yeah. and it's it's fearful. We don't know if we can do it. Right. But she mustered up his courage by how? Reminding him of who he was. Hmm. And she did it by reminding him of her relationship to him and who he was. Those things were very integrated. Okay. And I take this and I, 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 I change the words here a little bit and it's not too undissimilar from what I think God tells us. Hmm. So he says to us, imagine God saying, I'm always behind you, Armin, hmm. with you and inside you and in love with you. So you just remember who you really are. You're, you're the son of God, you're an entrepreneur, you're a chief operating officer, mm -hmm. you're the pride of my heart, and he says, and you're everybody's hope, your kid's hero, you're the champion of my heart. Wow. And what did God say about Paul, or David, sorry, in Acts chapter 13, he says, I have found David, get this, a man after my own heart, mm -hmm. and the very next words are, he will do everything I want him to do. So right there in that in Acts chapter 13 you have this integration. I'm after his heart, David says, and I'm going to do everything he says uh, he wants me to do. Well, so I don't see this be do dichotomy. I think the 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 way we should be looking at it is integrated. Right. And when we when we chase after who God is, knowing that we are going to be the champion of his heart, going after his heart, he will show us what we're to do. And that's going to have a whole variety of things. And that's why I like what David Brenner said. It's always a discovery hmm. because it's a spiritual quest. This idea of who we are, this identity we have, this spiritual quest. Hmm. I love that. Well, let's bring it back down to uh, a level of understanding. Why don't you challenge me, Larry? Well, I think we can challenge all of us here with this, uh, with this next exercise. I'm a millennial. It's all about me, Larry. <laughs> well, I'd, you don't have prior claim on that one, buddy. <laughs> well, I want, to think about the, I want us to think about the ABCs of identity here, really, and the ABCs of, of having a healthy identity. And so A would be to ask the questions that Merton suggested. What am I living for and what's keeping me from it? Hmm. And to be constantly asking those questions. 
And I like what Max Dupre says, you do not grow by knowing all the answers, but by rather living with the questions. Hmm. And I think we're invited by God in this quest of life to live with those questions. What am I living for and what's keeping me from it? Hmm. And where we rot is when we don't ask those questions or we think that there's a problem with asking them or we think that there's something wrong with me if I don't have the answer. I'm uh, One of the things I will tell you about your generation is I'm astonished by how many people apologize for not knowing the answers to the questions. But I applaud them for asking, but they should never apologize for not knowing. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So first, A, is ask the questions. The second is B, believe your most important identity, and that is that you're a child of God. Hmm. Because it is out of that uh, tie. It, it is out of being the champion of God's heart that you discover what it is that you're supposed to do. That's good. And then the C is to cultivate multiple identities. We talked about that earlier. Uh, as Gail Sheehy uh, managed, she, she, she wrote this. She said, a single fixed identity is a liability today. It only makes people more vulnerable to sudden changes in economic or personal conditions. The most successful and healthy among us now develop multiple identities managed simultaneously to be called upon as conditions changed. Then she points out that they are healthier, healthier and happier. <laughs> that they are healthier and happier people that are able to see themselves with with multiple uh, identities. I think I'm just going to put "healthier" in the Urban Dictionary <laughs> and say right here that on the work. Reinventure Me podcast, we have created a new word: healthier. <laughs> I like it. We are healthier. <laughs> All right. So, so ABCs. So ask, believe cultivate i like those that's i think those are simple enough it's it's i mean it's better than the sales abc's always be closing so ask believe cultivate and it's something that we can walk out every single day and do those things so i i actually do like that and i that is something that i can apply and walk away with so yeah, i really right do on. appreciate that you know and our next episode is going to tie in a little bit to this because we're going to talk about how to become a better beginner and mm. if you're going to cultivate multiple identity identities and roles and all the rest um you better get good at beginning things right and uh so like often new we, words for the urban dictionary uh, yeah <laughs> what was that <laughs> <laughs> well we hope you enjoyed today's episode of reinventure me we'd love for you to leave us some feedback on our website reinventure.me join our discussion on facebook at facebook.com reinventure.me and want to remind you that the dream intensive workshop is coming up on february 21st and 22nd in minneapolis and on march 14th and 15th in denver and we invite you to take a look at what that's all about at dreamintensive.com so until next time armin asadi and and, uh, and i larry gates are wishing you well and uh, we hope that you uh, discover God's next great adventure in beginning for you. Never stop becoming what you should be. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Amina Sadi.